This episode is sponsored by the Learn Jazz Standards Inner Circle. If your goal is to level up your jazz playing this year and feel confident improvising over jazz standards, the Inner Circle has everything you need and more. With monthly jazz standard studies, a library of powerful courses, and a vibrant community of like-minded musicians, you're guaranteed to improve your playing every single month. Podcast listeners can get 50% off their first month when you go to ljsinnercircle.com. That's ljsinnercircle.com or find the link in the show notes. Now, on to today's episode. Welcome to Jazz Standards Month here on the LJS Podcast, where this month of May, we are going to be celebrating jazz standards. We're going to be digging into them to try to understand them better, to try to make them simpler, easier to understand, and of course, to help us improvise over them better. And of course, this comes along with uh, our launch of our Jazz Standards Playbook Volume 2 ebook and companion course uh, coming up on May 26th, which we're all really excited about here uh, on Team LJS. But today, we're going to be talking about simplifying jazz standards to make them easier to understand and, of course, to help us improvise over them better. We're going to be using a popular jazz standard in order to do that. Let's cue the music. Welcome to the LJS Podcast, where you get weekly jazz tips, interviews, stories, and advice for becoming a better jazz musician. And now your host, he's a jazz musician, author, and entrepreneur, Brent Bartstra. What's up, what's up, what's up, everybody? Brent here from LearnJazzStandards.com, which is a blog, a podcast, and videos, all geared towards helping you become a better jazz musician. Thank you for being here. Really excited to serve you, to help you today with your jazz playing. And if this is the first time ever listening to this show, every once in a while on this podcast, we like to have themed months. And this month of May is Jazz Standards Month, where we are going to be digging deep into some jazz standards to try to understand the harmony better and to try to understand how to improvise over them better. So I have a whole month planned. Uh, this is going to be great. I want to make sure you're subscribed to the show because a lot of great stuff coming up here. I truly do believe that if we understand jazz harmony, we can become great jazz improvisers. That's what I call the jazz improv rule. And that's what my new book and companion course, The Jazz Standards Playbook Volume 2, which is coming out on May 26, 2019, is all about. It's helping us understand jazz standards, get inside of them. Me and the team have been working tirelessly on this book uh, for the last ah, almost five months now and really excited about this. Uh, we are diving into 10 jazz standards, uh, studies of 10 jazz standards where we are going to learn how to understand them, apply improv lessons to all of them, and, and of course, some key resources such as guide tone charts, chord maps, chord analysis, color-coded, all this good stuff in this book. You may wonder, hey, well, what are the jazz standards we're going to be studying in this book? It's There Will Never Be Another You, Someday My Prince Will Come, Tune Up, Just Friends, Take the A-Train, Days of Wine and Roses, Alone Together, Solar, What Is This Thing Called Love, and Love It or Hate It, The Girl from Ipanema, which, by the way, is a really interesting song, and I did a lot of research to try to understand how that bridge works. Today, we are actually going to be going over the Jazz Standard Tune-Up, which is part of the book. So stay tuned for that. We're going to be talking about how to simplify tune-up so we can understand it better. We're going to have a little chords analysis for you. Uh, really excited about that. Now, if you are interested in the Jazz Standards Playbook Volume 2, then just go to the Jazz Standards Playbook 
2.com. The Jazz Standards Playbook number two, that is, dot com. And uh, right now we just have a little sign-up form there for people to get early notifications. So you can sign up there to get early notification. Of course, if you're on my newsletter list, you're gonna you're gonna get to, you're gonna get you're gonna be in the know about all of this, anyways. Uh, and for those of you listening from the future, past May 26, uh, 2019, you just go to the Jazz Standards Playbook 2com and you can check it out there. All right, without further ado, let's jump in to today's lesson. So one of my primary goals for the Jazz Standards Playbook Volume 2 is to take jazz standards and make them easier, simplify them so they aren't so hard to understand. Uh, Because some of the jazz standards that I do cover in this particular book and companion course are a little bit harder to understand. There's less diatonic harmony happening. There's some non-diatonic harmony happening, some twists and turns, a little more so than the first volume of the Jazz Standards Playbook that I wrote. So I want to make some of these easier because I truly believe, like I said, if we can understand jazz standards and we can understand the harmony, well, this starts to make improvising over them a little less mysterious. And let's face it, guys, jazz standards are not the easiest things to understand and play over, at least to the average musician. We do have to educate ourselves. We do have to inform ourselves. And yes, while we need to be doing all the other aural training and ear training and listening and learning solos and all this good stuff, This is also a really important thing to focus on. So today we're going to be doing tune-up. Tune-up is a tune by Miles Davis. It's also in the book I study. It's not the most difficult song that we study in the book, but it is one that does have some twists and turns in it. And what I want to do today for you is have you leave this episode feeling like this jazz standard isn't really so complicated. I'm going to boil it down to just a few simple things that you really need to know about it. Uh, And by knowing these things, you should be able to improvise over this so much easier. Now, I do have a free resource, completely free resource for you today associated with this episode, and that is my color-coded chords analysis of TuneUp, where it's color-coded. I go over the Roman numeral analysis, which I will be doing in this episode, But if you want to take a look at that, you can go to the show notes today. And the show notes is learnjazzstandards.com forward slash episode 166. So learnjazzstandards.com forward slash episode 166. You can see that color-coded chords analysis of tune-up there. Now, if you're on the road right now or if you're doing your workout, you can't look at that right now. That's okay. I'm going to do a good job uh, walking you through orally through this chords analysis. But if you have some time later, or if you have time now, you can also look and follow along with me on the show notes. Okay, so let's dive right in to Tune Up. Again, this is a song by Miles Davis. Now, I'm going to play it for you first, just so that uh, we can all get on the same page. And if you've never heard it before, definitely listen to Miles Davis's uh, version Listen to Miles Davis's version of this song. Uh, it's definitely one that you're going to want to check out uh, to understand this tune. All right, but here's me playing it. Thank you. 
Now, if you get a chance to look at the chords analysis at the show notes, you'll see that I have everything color-coded out. And there's only three colors presented here, and it's blue, red, and green. Blue, red, and green. And each one of these in this particular case represents a different key center, represents a different key center, okay? So immediately we're gonna start simplifying tune-up into three different key centers. Now, it's hard to say that there's really a parent key center here. And when I say parent key center, I mean the key that the song is in. And the reason it's hard to say that is because, again, we're cycling through three different key centers and they are not diatonic to each other. What does diatonic mean? It means it's related to a particular key center. So if this song were to be in the key of D major, uh, everything would have to relate to D major, like the four chord or the three chord or the two chord. In this case, we have three key centers that are non-diatonic to each other. In other words, they are not related to each other. Okay, that's an important thing to start out with. So it's hard to say there's a parent key center. However, if I had to pick one, it would be D major because the song starts and ends in the key of concert D major. So we have blue representing concert D major. Red represents the key of concert C major, so a whole step down there. And then green represents the key center of B flat major, concert B flat major, and that's it. So we have D major, we have C major, we have B flat major. So automatically, let's reduce some of the noise by just realizing that tune-up is just cycling through three different keys, D major, C major, and B flat major. There's a little surprise in the first A section. We'll go over that in a second. But other than that, this actually gets pretty straightforward here. So we start out with a 2-5-1 in the key of concert D major. We have an E minor 7, A7, D major 7. Okay, what is that? 2-5-1. Now, 2-5-1 is the most important, most important chord progression in jazz. Many of you know that. Now, in the melody, it goes... So over the A7, there's actually a sharp 11. Okay, it results to the third of D major seven, so. Okay, but it's just a two, five, one. E minor seven, A seven, D major seven, okay? So two, five, one in the key of concert, D major. Now on the chords analysis, uh, I, I have a little note at the bottom of the first bar that says begins cycle of fourths. Begin cycle of force. Now, first of all, what do we mean when I say cycle of force? I'm talking about intervallic movement. Well, already we know about two five ones, E minor seven, A seven, D major seven. Those are intervals of fourths with the root notes. E to A is a perfect fourth. A to D is a perfect fourth. Okay, two five one. Important to know that that's a cycle of force right there. But the cycle of force actually does continue in bar five. So the first four bars, two, five, one, concert D flat major. Now, check this out, bar five. We are going to take that D major and turn it into a D minor, okay? So here's the D major, D minor. Now what's cool about this song is it almost sounds for a second like we're going into the parallel minor. What does parallel minor mean? Parallel minor means it is the uh, the the minor or major key uh, related with the same 
with the same root note. So if we have a D major, the parallel minor is D minor. Okay, still the D note, still the same root note, D minor. If it's a D minor, we want to know the parallel major, it's going to be D major. Does that make sense? Pretty straightforward. So to our ears, this D minor in bar five, it sounds like we're going to the parallel minor, right? E minor seven, A seven, D major seven, D minor seven. Well, we're not going to the parallel minor. We're continuing this cycle of force that I mentioned, okay? We have D minor 7, G7, C major 7. So D, D minor 7, G7, C major 7. What is that? 2, 5, 1 in concert C major. Now, in the analysis, I have this color-coded red. In fact, it looks very nice to your eyes. The first line is all blue because it's D major 7. The second line is all red because it's C major 7. Just makes it so easy to see, right? Uh, even if we intellectually understand this, the color coding just makes everything easier to see. So, so far we got a 2, 5, 1 in concert D major. We start this cycle of force and then a 2, 5, one in C major seven. So a few things I want you to see here is that we're still cycling in fourths, right? That D minor cycles to a fourth interval to G and then G to C. So we have E to A, that's a fourth to D, okay? Then D to G to C. These are cyclings of force and that's what's keeping this tune driving forward. Other thing at this point I wanna mention is the melody. Listen to it. That's the first four bars, and then what happened there? That two, five, one to C major seven, all we did is repeat the melody exactly the same, except for we transposed it to C major. That's why this sounds so great, right? We're cycling in force, and we're taking that melody and we're recycling it in a different key. Okay? So now we're going to continue our cycle of fourths in bar nine, right? And we have a similar pattern here. We ended on that concert C major seven, a two, five, one chord progression that we know and love that we need to know. And then it turns into a C minor seven, right? Like as if we're going to the parallel minor now, what's the parallel minor of C major seven? It's C minor seven, right? Right? Okay, but of course, if you look at the chord progression here, Everything is context. Context is king when it comes to understanding jazz standards, understanding jazz harmony. We see that C minor 7. We have to look what came before it. Okay, it was a C major 7. What's happening here? What's the chord that comes after C minor 7? It's a F7. Automatically in my head, I'm going C minor 7 to F7. That's a fourth interval away. What's the chord after F7? It's a B flat major 7. So we have C minor 7, F7, B flat major 7. That is a 2 5 one in B flat major. And guess what? We're continuing that cycle of force, right? Because we went E to A to D. Those are all force. And then D to G to C, cycling in force. And then we went C to F to B flat. That's cycling in force. Okay? Two, five, one in B flat major. So I want to take a step back for a second and realize so far we've covered our three key centers that I mentioned. And again, they're color coded blue for D major, red for C major, and green for B flat major. And that's it. There's only three key centers that happen in this song. And guess what? There's really mostly only one kind of chord progression so far. Two, five, one. 
So all we need to know right now is a 2-5-1. How do we play a 2-5-1? Well, the first chord is minor. And the second chord is dominant. And how do we build that dominant seventh chord? It's a root, third, fifth, flat seven. And then we have a D major seven, or a one chord in this case, right? So two, five, one. One chord is a major seventh chord. We have to know how to make that chord. If we know how to do that, then we're in good shape. And then if we go further than that, included in the book in the companion course, we do guide tone charts, which guide tones are the thirds and sevenths. Those are the defining notes of each chord. Uh, I have a podcast episode on that somewhere. Go through the feed. I don't have it on the top of my head right now. But thirds and sevenths are are really the defining notes. And especially when we have two five ones, they they really voice lead nicely. Voice leading mean connect with each other by stepwise motions. Right? These are just notes, but right? Those are just notes, but you could hear the chord changes come out, right? That's a two five one in D major. Two five one in C major, right? Two five one in B flat major seven, right? That's so easy, right? We could hear everything just by playing the thirds and sevenths of each one of those chords. So all we really need to know is how do we navigate a two five one chord progression, and how do we play that in the keys of D, C, and B flat? Okay. So last what we left off, we were at C minor seven. Now let me try that again. <laughs> to B flat major seven. Now we have uh, another chord that comes after the B flat major seven that I have color coded green in the analysis, and that is a G minor seven. Okay, so it goes C minor seven, F seven, B flat major seven, G minor seven. Now, why is the G minor seven green? Well, think about it for a second. What is G minor to B flat major? What is G minor to B flat major? G minor is the sixth chord. G minor is the sixth chord of B flat major. So the G minor is related to the key of concert B flat major. It's not related to C major in this case. It's not related to D major. It's related to B flat major. So what we have here is a two, five, one, six, right? That's the G minor seven. Now, it's this next four bars of the song that is the trickiest part to understand. So pay close attention here. This is bars 13, 14, 15, and 16. Now, remember, context is always key when you're trying to understand how a chord relates to a chord progression, right? We can't just look at that one chord by itself. We have to look at where it came from and where it's going. Okay, so bar 13, we have a D, uh, or sorry, an E minor 7. Okay, and I have it labeled as the two chord of the parent key. Remember that I'm referring to uh, D major as the parent key uh, for lack of better findings of a parent key, right? So E minor seven is the two chord of D major seven. So you may think, okay, we're probably gonna go back to D major seven, but hold on a second, because in bar 14, we play an F7. By the way, this is, this is the point of the song we're at. This one. Okay, so E minor 7, two chord of the parent key, but then we go to an F7. Now, that's a chromatic half step up, right? We have E to F is a, a minor second up, a chromatic half step. F7 is a dominant 7 chord. So immediately we have to stop and go, what is going on here? We went from an E minor 7 to an F7. Well, the E minor 7 the F7 are not related to each other diatonically. They are not in the same key as each other. So we got to get some more context. What's coming after the F7 here? It goes F7 to B flat major 7. 
will automatically F7 to B flat major seven is familiar to us in this song. That's a five one in the key of concert B flat major. That's a five one in the key of concert B flat major. So why did we start with E minor seven, which I have color coded blue for being in D major, and then F7 to B flat major seven, which I have color coded green to be in B flat major. And then what's the chord that comes after that? Then it has a A7, which is a chromatic, there's B flat, chromatic half step down. Right? That's the five chord of D major. If you look ahead to bar 17, the form starts over again, right? The form of, of uh, we basically go into the A2 section of, of, uh, of tune-up. So we need to figure out what's going on here because there's something weird going on here. We have a two chord in D major, then a five, one in B flat major, and then a five. So it's almost like the E minor seven, the two of D major, and the five are being separated by this F7, B flat major seven. This is what I call a detour cadence. A detour cadence. What's a detour cadence? Let me give you a definition. A detour cadence is a chord progression, usually brief, that interrupts the flow of another chord progression in progress. So one more time, I'll say that again. What's a detour cadence? A detour cadence is a chord progression. It's usually brief, and it interrupts the flow of a chord progression in progress. In other words, the chord progression being interrupted here is the E minor 7 to the A7, the 2, 5 to D major 7. But we're taking a detour. We're going E minor 7, and we're interrupting it with another chord progression, and that is F7 to B flat major 7. Now it works nicely together because they're connected chromatically. E to F7, that's a chromatic half step up. Then the B flat major 7 to A7, that's just a chromatic half step down. So it sounds nice to our ears and the melody is pretty static. It's just going Right? So you that sound really works over all the chords. Okay, it's a little ambiguous. Now the other thing here that's happening that, that another angle to look at it, because you can look at jazz standards and multiple different angles of how to understand things. The other thing that's happening here is modal interchange. And particularly it's the B flat major seven that is using modal interchange in the context of the D major. Now, if that sounds like rocket science, don't worry. First, let me tell you what modal interchange is. Okay, here's your definition. Modal interchange is the use of chords borrowed from the parallel key. For example, when a chord progression is in a major key, includes a chord that would be found in the minor key that shares its tonic, we call it modal interchange, okay? Modal interchange is the use of chords borrowed from the parallel key. So remember, we talked about parallel keys a second ago, the parallel minor, the parallel major. Uh, so when a chord progression in a major key includes a chord that would be found in the minor key that shares its tonic, we call it modal interchange. So in the B flat major seven, let's let's pick this apart and try to understand it better. Since this is a D tour cadence interrupting a two five of D major, let's relate the B flat major seven a second to the D major. Now we know right away that D major, that's D major, does not have a B flat major in it. It just simply does not. That doesn't make any sense, all right? That doesn't make any sense. We don't have a B flat major, okay? But what is a B flat major if we take the D minor to the D major to the parallel minor, which is D minor? So D major to D minor. Well, B flat major seven is the sixth chord. 
right? It's the six chord in D minor. So modal interchange is where we're going, okay, you know, B flat major seven, it's not in D major seven, but I'm going to be borrowing it from the parallel minor of D minor. And D minor, the B flat major in D minor, that's the sixth chord, right? That's the sixth chord D minor. So modal interchange is simply borrowing a chord from the parallel minor. So the fun, cool thing about this is we have a detour cadence that is clearly a 5-1 to B flat major seven, but also this B flat major seven could be thought of being borrowed from the parallel minor of D major. So these sounds sound cool together for that reason. And this is po- possibly where, where Coltrane, well, I know that Coltrane did get some of his, his uh, Coltrane changes from this movement because he wrote an entire contrafact over that called Countdown. Over tune-up, he, is a, he applied his Coltrane changes, which have this kind of movement in it over tune-up. It's called Countdown. Okay, so we have a detour cadence, and the B-flat major 7 can be viewed as modal interchange, and they connect chromatically. The E to the F, B-flat to the A. Right? Sounds good. Okay, does that make sense? Detour cadence, modal interchange, chromatically connecting together. Okay, now the song continues on, and it's familiar to us. We have a... 2 5 1 into D major 7, right? 2 5 1 into C major 7. Then we have the 2 5 1 into B flat major 7 with the 6, a 2 5 1 6. B flat major 7, G minor 7. Now, this is where things really end simply. This time we don't do the modal interchange DTR cadence. We end the song on a simple 2 5 1. D major 7. Right? Okay, so let's simplify. Let's summarize the simplicity of tune-up here. Yes, we have a lot of non-diatonic harmony going on. Yes, that seems intimidating. Yes, maybe that detour cadence thing is a little bit weird, but now we understand it better, right? So tune-up consists of three keys. And again, when you see the color coding of this, it's just like, wow, it looks so easy, right? Only three keys, concert D major, concert C major, concert B flat major. For the very most part, no, for, for the, for the, exactly the entire song, there's only two fives and two five one chord progressions. You need to know those for jazz, no matter what. So as long as you know what a two five chord progression is and you know how to play them in those three keys, you're basically good to go. The only part you really have to work on is bars 13, 14, 15 to 16. And that's just simply a matter of, you know, connecting the E minor seven to the F seven and the B flat major seven to the A seven because the F seven, the B flat major seven, that's just a two five and B flat major. So if you have that five, one thing down and the two, five, one thing down, tune up is not really that hard. And again, you can use the melody, which basically just repeats itself and transposes in your improvisation as well. How easy is that, right? How easy is that? So that's tune-up. That, that's that's how we can simplify tune-up, and that's what I really do throughout the rest of the book. And of course, you know, what, what's the obvious, th- you know, this begs the question, well, what do we need to do to improvise over tune-up better? Simple. We need to know 251 language, right? 
We need to know 251 language. And so in the book, the improv lesson, we go over chromaticism where we go over a series of licks that introduces chromaticism into them and outlining those 251. So we want to learn a lot of 251 language for tune-up because it's only 251s in different keys, right? You could even just take one lick, transpose it in all three keys. That's a start, right? That's a start. That's a place to start. Then you just mess around with those licks a little bit. You change one note here, you change one note there. You already start to improvise, right? You take the melody, you start playing the melody. Yeah, I change the melody up a little bit here. You change the melody up there over this key center change. Now we start improvising. Now we start creating music, okay? Jazz standards don't have to be so hard. Don't, they don't have to be so hard. So that is tune-up. Uh, that's the chords analysis there. Again, if you want to look at that chord chart, that color-coded chord chart, just to get a better visual, learnjazzstandards.com forward slash episode 166 episode 166 all right all right sorry i feel like i got a little bit excited there i was getting excited but that's because i am excited about this uh i enjoy teaching this stuff so thanks for hanging out with me today i hope this was helpful for you hope that uh tune up is a little easier for you that you have a better roadmap for how to tackle it now uh, like I said, Jazz Standards Playbook Volume 2 coming out May 26th. That's a Sunday. And, uh, you know, regardless of whether it's out when you're listening to this now or if it's not yet, you can sign up for early uh, for early notification at the Jazz Standards Playbook 2, number 2.com. Uh, or you'll, you'll find the book there and the companion course there. Uh, so check that out if you think that this kind of stuff would be helpful for you. Now, as I always ask, if you got value out of this show, please leave a rating and review on iTunes. Uh, tell other people why you like this show, why you love it. Uh, it just helps other people go, hey, this is a show worth listening to. Um, and I do appreciate that. I really appreciate you taking the time to do that. Now, I am pretty excited for the next episode in Jazz Standards Month, where we're going to be talking about how to make scales musical over jazz standards, how to make scales musical over jazz standards. And we are going to be featuring a scale that I know all of you love. I'm going to be applying it over a jazz standard and showing you how to make these scales more musical. All right. Sound good, everybody. All right. I'll see you back then. Make sure you subscribe to the show and we will do this thing next time. Thanks for listening to the LJS podcast brought to you by LearnJazzStandards.com. Subscribe to the series on iTunes and don't forget to join our jazz community at LearnJazzStandards.com forward slash newsletter. Hey, podcast listener, would you like to ask me a jazz question and get it answered here on the show? Then go to learnjazzstandards.com forward slash ask. That's learnjazzstandards.com forward slash ask. I look forward to hearing your question and answering it on a future podcast episode. Learnjazzstandards.com forward slash ask or find the link in today's show notes.